Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And joining us this week is Dr. Wes Robertson, scholar of, ooh, this is interesting, orthography. He's also author of the book Scripting Japan, which looks at conventions of Japanese writing systems and how they function to create meaning. No idea yet what the book has to do with the study of birds, but I assume we'll get into that later. Right, Wes? Oh, I got it. I got the joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will. Absolutely. Uh, we'll talk about, talk about birds and script. On this week's show, we all know how deep the Japanese language rabbit hole is, and we've heard it time and again. To attain native-level Japanese reading and writing skills, you need to be comfortable with hiragana, katakana, and condescension to foreigners. But what do things like pronoun choices or writing system choices really say about your identity? Wes will help us figure out why I never got a callback after that audition where I spent the whole time referring to myself as kono ore-sama. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali? Yes, Bobby, I'm sorry to say that there's no River Cruise recommendation this week, uh, as I actually signed an NDA when boarding, uh, meaning that I'm not allowed to talk about it. So anyone that wants to find out about this cruise uh, or needs to wait till the NDA expires in December 2023, or go for a drink with me and say, oh, go on, just tell me, I won't tell anyone. Uh, and that's also fine. And with Omicron making its first domestic appearance, Japanese River Cruises nationwide are once again hanging up the no foreigners sign. Ali and I will have a soul-searching session in which we start to come to terms with the fact that maybe what we've actually been in love with all of these years has just been our idea of Japanese river cruises. An idea which doesn't reflect the reality of Japanese river cruises and how Japanese river cruises clearly do not love us back. So get your tissues and your one-way return tickets ready for that later in the show. Right now, it's Soap Talk. <laughs> Brian couldn't be here this week because he saw both sides of the Japan entry ban argument, and as such, both sides have cancelled him. Uh, although he did see it from the inside side, which means <laughs> he's stuck here for the time being. Twitter has exploded about the travel ban again. Wes, have you been following oh, the... Oh, man. The... Well, it, it seems like we recorded last week's episode just days too early, because last week's episode we were kind of like slightly more balanced, and hey, you know, in the end... Japan started to make the policies towards non-Japanese nationals and Japanese nationals equal and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like one reported case of a mm. variant which isn't even necessarily proven to be more deadly. And Japan's like, ha ha, we knew it. We were right all along. No one in, no one out. <laughs> With the exception of Mex scholars, apparently. Apparently no. Mex scholars are the only exception. No, not anymore. They retracted that. Oh, yeah. oh really? So that, so that was good for about a day, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> so it's going to get to a point where when people tell you they're scholars of the Sakoku Jidai, uh, you're going to have to ask them which one. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. There's there's two camps about it on Twitter. I've seen I've seen uh, people getting very, very vocal uh, on one side saying, good, shut it down, keep the bad foreigners out. And these are like the very much my Japan types where, like you said, you know, Brian on the inside, they're already here. And they're like, I've got mine and shut the door behind me. And then there's also the Japan is ruined for everyone forever camp. Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the best takes was in response to your uh, wildly popular tweet uh, about you are nani shini ni poe. Someone replied. Thank you. Uh, Semi-rural Japan Jerry said, if they don't start letting tour... Oh, so you are nani shini ni poe is a show which looks at like foreigners at the airport and is normally a bit rude about them. Um, he tweeted saying, if they don't start letting tourists in next year, this show is going to start hunting each of us down <laughs> one by one, and it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> we talked in the extras about um, 
word choices and linguistic choices when making jokes across languages. But uh, one of the responses to that joke, which just perplexed me, my joke was that they have to change the title from what did you come to Japan to do to what did you what were you trying to come to Japan to do? And and my Japanese yeah. grammar was you a nanishini nippon e ikoto omotetanoni or something like that. Mm -hmm. And someone responded yeah. and was like, I don't think the grammar there works. Like, why would you say noni at the end, even though you've said nanishini? And I wanted to to respond and be like, because there's misdirection with the joke. Because what you're mm -hmm. doing is you're changing the sentence, you're switching gears midway to accentuate the joke. But I didn't think it was worth the explanation. Well, it's it's not, and it's funny because that that joke, if you did in English, would be a lot simpler, right? Because you'd something that doesn't work in Japanese comedy as well. I'm not saying it never happens, but I think it's rarer. Is just emphasis in a sentence, mm. so that would work in English by going. There was a show which was called "Why Did You Come to Japan," and now it's called "Why Did You Come to Japan?" Uh, or, and, or how and did that, you that get kind to of Japan? Like, or, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that kind of uh, that kind of emphasis in tone doesn't always work as well in Japanese, does it? I, th I think your version of the joke worked well. Mm. Well, uh, speaking of, of things on Twitter and uh, word choices, I wanted to ask Wes about the Ryukogo mm -hmm. Taishi this year. Mm -hmm. uh, they do this every year. They're announcing the winner later today, but this is the popular words of the year. And we follow you on Twitter. We see all your uh, rundowns of the slang of the month. Mm -hmm. Great, great source for uh, learning new and interesting super niche vocab. Uh, did you get a chance to look at the Ryukogo Taishi this year? I did, I did. Uh, some of them I've actually covered. Um, some of them were new. Uh, some I think are a bit kind of a cop-out. Like, I don't think that Squid Game should be on that list. Yeah, like, yeah. And... It's just, it's just the TV show. I don't, I don't know if that's really... I mean, it is a, a phrase people are using, but uh, it doesn't mean anything besides Squid Game. So, and also, like, is it just a popular product list now or well there's a lot of olympic ones i think there, there's yeah. maybe a third of them there's 30 nominated and one will be chosen uh and there's mm. maybe i'd say a third of them are, are about the olympics and i feel like the olympics as they played out they, they were definitely in the cultural consciousness but not the words that they chose the words that some they of them chose... are though because oh. there is um there was that one during the skateboarding event there was that one commenter who had those uh really peculiar turns of phrase Gonzene. and those ones are in the list and those are very interesting i don't know if they will you know the thing with all these ryukogo or slang or whatever is that uh the longevity is always in question yeah but you never know some of them do end up staying around uh so those ones are quite interesting but the ones that are just like a specific event that was popular i i don't i hope those don't win those aren't those aren't that interesting Gonzeme was the only one that I actually thought belonged there. The rest of the mm. Olympic ones, I just kind of felt like Japan was trying to make the Olympics a thing after the fact. <laughs> it's like, stop trying to make them a thing. Mm. Oh, the word of the year? Oh, you mean unmitigated success? <laughs> um, anyway, if you have an idea for an alternative word of the year, then uh, you could mail us at japanbyrivercruise.com. This show enjoys relies and indeed reluctantly accepts your correspondence so go to japanbyrivercruise.com uh, and click on the facts button uh, and get in touch with us and likewise lots of people uh, support us by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash japanbyrivercruise there's two ways to support the show the first way uh, is by buying stickers and other merchandise so if you want the indignity of having to explain why you have a no river cruise no life sticker on your laptop uh, then this is one of the easiest ways to do that um, or the way that we prefer is people 
pledge five dollars a month in order to support the production of this show um, and become one of the boys uh, and that is a pun and we're going to be talking about puns in the news so what an excellent segue well done me let's jump into the new in fact we're not we're not we're not you almost had it <laughs> just do it anyway uh, all right I'll, just, I'll do the whole thing no no no, no. Um, leave it man it's fine uh hey if you paid us some money maybe one day we can afford a producer <laughs> such that i can such that i don't make these terrible basic mistakes in the news we're talking about pronouns which is very progressive of us so bobby without any further ado shall we jump into <sighs> this is a lot of ado the news Bobby Judo, what's in the news this week? We are doing an evergreen one because we have the perfect person to ask one of the big questions uh, as a foreigner here in Japan. And that question is, Dr. Wes, why do we speak in katakana? <laughs> why do foreigners speak in katakana? Uh, well, hopefully, hopefully we don't, but we are often <laughs> represented as uh, speaking in katakana. And that's something that you will see in a lot of comics. Uh, my first encounter was it was... Um, I'm not sure if if you two were in Japan when they had the Mr. James mascot from McDonald's. Yes. Mr. Yes. James was how I launched my YouTube career. That was the first really? video I ever made was a parody of Mr. James video because I, oh. I, I found it just so offensive. Mr. James, yeah. can you tell tell our listeners who Mr. James was? Uh, Mr. James was a, uh, I assume, some kind of actor uh, who they dressed up in the least flattering uh, clothing <laughs> possible. They gave him, I believe it was a comb over, uh, poorly fitting slacks. Uh, tucked in shirt, and I think they like framed him as someone who had some kind of Japanese connection. But he came to Japan to eat the McDonald's American series hamburgers, and uh, everything he was shown speaking on on billboards and everything was written in katakana. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was also an example that is uh, even more offensive, where they had um, uh, Toshiba had a, a bread maker, and they made an advertisement for it, and they had. Uh, an actress put on a blonde wig and a fake nose and like white face paint mm -hmm. and speak in really stilted Japanese. And it was all subtitled in katakana. Uh, and there's plenty of comics again that, that do this. Um, and it's something that I noticed and it kind of started my career in a weird way because I asked Japanese people like what was going on. And I really didn't accept as arrogant as it sounds their explanations um, because I was wondering, like, how can... There's no difference between ah in hiragana and katakana, right, in terms of pronunciation. Right. Um, so how can that convey, like, accent? Uh, and that was actually kind of a bad question, because if you really think about it, in English language comics, uh, font and color and stuff are used to convey sound all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a good question that it got me to start kind of looking into it. And what I've seen is time and time again, um, it's not that accent is being directly conveyed via katakana, but that there's this... Uh, kind of ideological stereotype of the normative non-native speaker. And there are certain behavioral traits that are attached to these and what those are depend on the individual. Um, but that is really what is being marked into it. And accent, of course, is then kind of assumed. Uh, there's a lot of comics where you'll find cases where a non-native speaker will be shown speaking their own language or speaking Japanese fluently, um, but they'll still be katakana put in there or even cases where like even just their pronoun watashi or whatever pronoun they use is in katakana nothing else is so you'll have paragraph after paragraph uh of completely normal looking japanese and then all of a sudden they'll say watashi and then bam it stands out mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. kind of linking to this this essential character in the same way that uh, pronouns are used to of course in japanese media right we've already covered a lot and i think we should just take stock of the fact that some people where they learn 
Japanese aren't necessarily aware that there are these multifaceted uses of hiragana, katakana, and kanji. Like we all learn in our first Japanese class, there are three writing systems or four writing systems if you include romaji, mm -hmm. and hiragana is for this kind of word, katakana is for loan word, kanji is for words which have a kanji. Uh, if the kanji is too complicated, sometimes they use hiragana. But there's kind of there's kind of rules that mm -hmm. we learn, and then we very soon learn when we're in Japan those rules are sometimes broken. Uh, and it might be because an example that you gave in your lecture was uh, the word kohi, right? There is actually a kanji for kohi mm. that's used in a traditional kisaten, but it might not be used in a Starbucks because that demarcates a different product. And we start to learn things like that. And one thing that I was absolutely not aware of is that sometimes a different writing system can be used to mock. Uh, because I, uh, about two weeks uh, after moving to Fukuoka, I was stopped by a TV crew on the street to ask me something. Uh, and obviously, you know, I didn't have good Japanese. I was flummoxed. I wasn't used to being in front of the camera, blah, blah, blah. And I misconjugated kawaii in the past tense. I said kawaii deshita. Uh, and that's obviously really jarring to a native speaker. And when I watched it back on telly, really proud and excited, they'd subtitled me in normal Japanese. So, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, using the proper kanji and hiragana and katakana where appropriate. But that part where I made a really blatant mistake with my grammar, they put it all in katakana. So that was like, that, that was an introduction to me uh, of of the use of katakana to mock, mm. uh, which, which I think is, is what they were doing there. So Wes, can you talk through some of the examples where a deliberate choice to put a word which is normally in kanji or normally in hiragana into katakana may have some nuance uh, beyond just demarcating that's a foreigner. Yeah, I mean, so the foreigner one's like obviously the biggest one that we see, uh, but there are other cases. I, I've seen cases where uh, characters that act a bit, especially adults that act a bit foolish or um, a bit in kind of a, a Yankee sort of way, uh, delinquent, uh, will have like their pronouns or various things that they say in katakana. Uh, there are cases where I've seen it being used to show people that are really, really stressed out or uh, cases where people or things are acting in a way that is like robotic or inhuman. Um, and there's other cases where, for instance, hiragana will be used to show that a character is kind of silly or cute, or even just kind of, again, all this differentiates characters from whatever the norm is. So separating uh, individuals from, in context, what the normative speaker is is designed to be by um, whoever's you know, creating the media, uh, something that any of the scripts can be kind of employed to do. So what are the reasons that a Japanese person in writing would, would choose to vary their script in an unconventional or in a conscious way? Uh, there are five uh, main reasons. Um, the first is just that it, it, chance. Uh, we talk about rules of script use, uh, but in reality, they're, they're mainly just guidelines. And people know different kanji, so that can just happen. Uh, emphasis is one that is, is quite well known. Um, and then there are a lot of psycholinguistic research that has shown that people have sort of effective links to the scripts. Like if you if you put hiragana, katakana, and kanji together and say, hey, which one is cute? They'll say hiragana. So the idea that it can be kind of cute. Uh, the famous um, manga magazine Ribbon, for instance, uh, has its title in hiragana, which has often been analyzed as uh, kind of putting off a cute image as it has comics that are aimed at, at, at younger uh, readers. Mm -hmm. um, and then th there's just the fact that script play is fun. It's a way to make jokes. It's a way to make puns. Uh, but there's also the question of who uses script or who is shown to be speaking in certain scripts, these sort of social considerations. Mm -hmm. So in comics, you have different types of characters that are shown regularly speaking in different ways, different balances of script. And people continue these traditions, they resist these traditions, they modify them uh, to convey information about characters in the same way that in English we might use um, color or a different kind of spelling. 
Uh, and then also there are just the fact that the way that you write, the way that other people around you write is something you pay attention to in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you see people that you don't like using script in a certain way, you might want to avoid that. Um, I remember personally, uh, I think this is something that a lot of people encounter when they start learning Japanese is that they, they take the idea that, okay, kanji are something that you use when you know them. Mm-hmm. And so you learn kanji and you start adding them and you start adding them, you start adding them. Mm-hmm. And then I showed a sentence to a Japanese native speaker and they're like, man, why, why are you using so many kanji? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this comes off as really, really like, like unfriendly and harsh and difficult. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just... Well- I'm just using what I learned, right? It's, but it's not only unfriendly and harsh or or aggressive. It can also be showy. It can also mm-hmm. be show offy. Yeah. I remember I remember um, a dude forever ago who, even in his like Facebook messages, he used to sign off with like Yoroshiko Onagaishimas in kanji, mm-hmm. or he would hand write out like like when he signed a birthday card or something, he would write Yoroshiko Onagaishimas in kanji. And as a foreigner writing a card to another foreigner. The only mm-hmm. reason to write Yoroshiko Onagaishimasu at all, let alone in kanji, is to show off. Yeah. yeah. I, I was told once that I came across as rude when I wrote something, something, shite kudasai, mm. but I wrote the kanji, you know, the kanji which means, what does it mean, down, I guess, yeah, yeah. Uh, rather than kudasai in, in hiragana. And I thought, like, surely it's politer that I'm using the kanji, <laughs> but no. Apparently, that means I was giving an order. It was more like I said something shidasai rather than kudasai. So... What that means is, if I said that out loud, mm-hmm. there's no nuance at all. There's no, no difference. I'm not thinking the 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 down kanji. But in writing, I've got to make a to- conscious choice. How do I want to be perceived? Yeah. I actually analyzed a comic about talking dogs, as weird as that sounds, where um one of the characters is purebred and shown to be incredibly pretentious. Uh, they have a French name, uh, and they they speak in Kago, which none of the, none of the other talking dogs do. But mm-hmm. also, they have kanji that appear nowhere else in the comic in their speech and one of them was actually kudasai in the kanji so using it to kind of uh mark this character as as pretentious and the basic point here really simply is that we know that we pay attention how other people use language and speech and then mm-hmm. we you know judge what they're saying and who they are because of that the same thing happens with writing uh because we pay attention okay what kind of person writes kudasai with kanji yeah I, I recently got uh, a mail from somebody, a couple mails, who this person um, writes Kochira Koso, the Kochira he writes in kanji, and it just like makes me not want to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, insane. This, this goes beyond just word choice, though, right? Mm-hmm. Because this, this isn't like, you know, the choice of saying Rikaishimashita rather than Wakarimashita, just to show that you're a bit more elevated and elegant. Or Shochu Itashimashita or Kachikomarimashita. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So to show that you're even more elevated. How dare you? <laughs> but then, yeah, once you have Kashikomarimashita, you can say, is that going to be in hiragana? Is that going to be in kanji? Is right. that going to be in katakana? It's, right. it's choices on top of choices, and every choice well, you make. Well, well, we're inter- we're foreign, yeah. so it's going to be in katakana. Yeah, right, right. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Th- that's what I'd like to to discuss. That it's not. This isn't really a question of word choice. It's not really a question of grammar. It, 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 it's it is just a question of of script, right? And even something as simple as like ine, mm. some people are going to choose ine in katakana or mm. ine in, in hiragana, and that's going to want to communicate something. And I think what your research seems to do is to say all the reasons that Japanese people think that they're trying to communicate using these alternating scripts mm. 
might not be what's actually going on. Sometimes their explanation as to why they're writing a certain way only scratches the surface of their actual motivations or what's actually being communicated. I don't want to say that they're completely wrong, but I think there's often factors that go beyond what they are uh, thinking about. And that's true with any language user, honestly. Well, it's subjective. Um, it's totally yeah, subjective. Yeah. Like, it's not word choice, but it is language choice. That's that's really the, the key point. Script choice is language choice. So maybe they are saying ine in katakana, and that ine is in katakana a lot, to, to for emphasis or to be kind of fun or modern or flashy. And maybe all their friends feel the same way about it. But there's a chance that someone out there is saying, oh, this is the kind of person that writes ine in katakana. Okay. <laughs> Right. And that that is out of their control. Yeah. So you have like, you know, you ask these young people, hey, why are you writing Ine in Katakana? And they're like, oh, because it's, you know, it's fun. It's it's not serious. That's why our friends do it. Um, but then you have someone say, watching and being like, man, I just can't respect those people that write Ine in Katakana because they're, you know, uh, flippant. Um, Kanji is mm. a big one with uh, uh, the, the, you were mentioning it being pretentious. The people that are using it aren't using it to, to be, be pretentious. pretentious, they're using it to be intellectual, right? They're using it, and that's always the flip side. When I do an academic lecture, I'm trying to sound smart, but it's out of my hands if somebody thinks that I sound pretentious and overblown. Uh, these The language that we use leaves us and then circulates in society, and these views and these discussions of language uh, happen out of our control. Mm. And we know this about speech. Uh, and we know it about writing when we talk about words and grammar, but it's also true about how we represent words. Uh, I often say that if I had written my book in Comic Sans, no one would take it seriously, even though it doesn't have any impact on the actual content of the book itself. Well, let's let's ask about that, because uh, in your lecture, you talked about Japanese authors kind of varying mm -hmm. up, um, even for the same character, when that character is in different situations, they, mm -hmm. they vary their pronoun usage. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of times, if, if you're a foreigner in Japan, you're familiar with people who kind of like pick up their favorite pronoun from their favorite comic or their favorite <laughs> anime, and then they apply it mm -hmm. to themselves. And even I, when I first came over, I had trouble learning which situations to call myself watashi, which situations to use boku or ore. Mm -hmm. I just... Mm -hmm. I just simplified and I never use, I, I just always go with watashi or jibun in most cases. Yeah, I, I find it easy. You just pick one and run with it. And watashi always worked for me. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but but when a Japanese author is writing this, uh, I, I wonder how conscious of a decision is it? Or uh, maybe conscious isn't the right word. Is it just natural? Is it something that they're they're always making a very specific selection? Or is it natural just because of their social conditioning? Uh, I think both. Um, the authors that I've interviewed have said that it is something that they think about and consider. Uh, whether or not they consider every single representation and every single change, I would not say that's the case, but there are cases where they, they do think about it. In, in the interviews I did, there were definitely cases where they said, oh yeah, yeah, I, I intended that that change. In other cases, those I saw um, where I'd say, what about this change? And said, oh, I, I don't, I didn't remember that, but you're right. Yeah, no, that, that, you know, I, I did actually um, do that to context when I think back on it. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a bit of both. It's a mixture of both. And sometimes they're just like, oh, yeah, foreigners speak in katakana. That's what happens in manga. I'm a mangaka, right? I'm just going to do what I've seen without thinking about it, just continuing. But there is a lot of um, conscious selection. And the more somebody uh, gets involved in the writing process, so the more they, you know, are a writer, basically, the more these choices become extremely important. Uh, pronoun choice in and of itself is is definitely used to differentiate characters. Uh, and then what you can also, you know, is, is this person a katakana ore or a hiragana ore or a kanji ore? Mm. Uh, these kind of questions allow conveying information in really, really subtle ways. 
I think the um, the bigger question is how much readers pick up on it. Uh, that is something yeah. that's a bit unknown. Uh, certainly some do. Like if you say, hey, you know, uh, in, in comics, non-native speakers, what happens? They'll, they'll know Katakana. But a lot of people just, just read, right? Just go through it as fast as they can. Well, I was actually surprised to see um, you did a matched guys study where you took mm-hmm. uh, the exact same texts and then just mm-hmm. varied the script that was used, Hiragana, Katakana, or more kanji, and showed it to people and asked for their impressions. And it was crazy to me how much they were inferring things like age, class, gender, profession, personality, mm-hmm. uh, how annoying the person is, just based on those uh, orthographic choices. Yeah, and it's terrifying because now I, I think too much about every single email I wrote. Like, am I using too much hiragana, too much katakana, too much kanji? Am I going to be perceived in some way? But yeah, and it's not consistent. It's not like if you do kanji, this will happen. But based on context, based on what the other person has seen, uh, they will interpret things. Uh, I, For instance, one that surprised me is somebody uh, in one of the ones that I increased the katakana in, a uh, few people said, this is, I've never seen anything like this. This is just meaningless. Like, I, I don't know why anyone would have written like this. And then some other person said, oh yeah, this kind of meaningless writing, uh, this is what uh, teenagers, like people in their 20s and 30s that are don't have a high education do. I've seen it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just like what social circles you've interacted in, in terms of language use can completely influence that. Uh, one person also that, that stuck out said something about increased kanji being like pretentious women in their 50s and 60s which was extremely specific. Uh, and I, I do want to, I wish I could pick their brain on exactly where they kind of encountered this this mm-hmm. writing group uh, that was so detailed in their mind. What you're trying to say is that if Karen spoke Japanese, they'd mainly be using kanji. <laughs> it might be that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to know what direction this is heading because I am not so humble that I won't put my theory to an actual professor about okay. this, that the IME and the way in which phones standardize the way we write and the way that Google also completes certain sentences might, be creating more homogenous choices? Uh, I don't think it's creating more homogenous choices, but it is creating ideologies that link certain representations of script to people that are bad at technology. So Ah. it used to be that, for instance, using difficult kanji was mainly associated with things like, uh, you know, intelligence, age, or of course, the other side, pretentiousness, being out of touch. Uh, But in my data, I have found now that using excess kanji can make people think that you are bad at using a phone. Uh, and that, of course, is its own ideological associations that may link to you being older, et cetera. Um, but I recently did uh, a study on um, this very interesting form of play where young Japanese women are pretending to be uh, lecherous old men online. And they do this through using certain words, of course. They call themselves ojisan. Uh, they use, you know, mas- traditionally masculine associated pronouns, but they also use script. But they emphasize kanji for some words and katakana for other words. And then they also have specific emoji and cow emoji that they use. And the reason is, is that basically uh, young Japanese women have been playing with katakana, as with ine, et cetera, that we all know. Uh, old men who want to hook up with them observe this and then try to do it to kind of match the style. <laughs> but they did it wrong, right? Because there's no yeah. guide to it. Right, right. They messed it up. So they used it, they used katakana for the wrong words. And then they brought in their own idiosyncrasies, which come from, you know, Again, older people tend to use more kanji, also not being good with technology um, and adding kanji to the mix. Also so being when the young awkward women are... in, in trying to have a conversation with a, that yes. big of an age difference. <laughs> yes, the topics are, are key as well. It's not just a, a script for yeah, sure. Yeah. But so when you have these young women imitating old men's imitation of their writing, they have to bring in all these different elements. So like konbanwa 
can be in kanji, but it can't be in katakana. But ojisan has to be in katakana. It, it can't be in kanji. And you have to use emoji, but you can only use certain emoji because there are the emoji that old men use that they think young women use. Mm. And so you get these this complex intersection of ideologies and beliefs and importantly observations going into this practice <laughs> uh, that, that make it a complete mess to look at. But also when you unpack it, you can just observe this fascinating web of of language interaction in Japan. This is that exact phenomena where uh, Japanese people observe how they perceive foreigners to communicate and then write mm -hmm. us an entire email in katakana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or if you've ever seen, um, you know, a Japanese TV show where people suddenly start speaking in cool English, that kind of thing. Yeah. This makes sense why my, my Japanese host father, who's an old man, just kept sending me cucumber emojis. <laughs> he was he was close enough. <laughs> just not Hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 109 of Japan by River Cruise. If you are new to the show, then please subscribe to the show. We have a new episode every week. Thank you to our guest this week, Dr. Wes Robertson. If you'd like to hear Wes talk more about this a little bit more in depth, you can find a YouTube video that will link in the show notes of a lecture he did uh, for the University of Cardiff. You can also find his book, Scripting Japan. Uh, Wes, thank you for joining us. Anything else you'd like to let the listeners know before we go? Uh, yeah, if you want to check out any other of my public lectures or the slang reviews that were mentioned, I also have some Japanese educational materials, etc. on my WordPress. And I imagine none of your listeners will be interested in this, but uh, I have a podcast on uh, language and language choice in the extreme metal scene called Lingua Britalica that uh, if anyone wants to check out, that'd be great too. That sounds more niche than the <laughs> Japanese river cruise industry. <laughs> I wonder what it's actually about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.